0: Hello everyone, and um, welcome back to the third episode, I think, (laughs) of uh, my podcast, Chronically Lucy. Need to change that name, I think. I don't like it. Uh, Nothing else has come to me, though, so, I don't know. Pop any ideas forward. Um, I am, once again, same intro as ever, driving home from class today. Um, As I'm recording this, I... um, I've wanted to record for a while, but, I don't know, it's hard to find a good time to do it. Um, because I don't like to just sit and, like, not be doing anything. Um, just sitting and talking is hard, especially when there's no one there talking back to you, so you can't bounce ideas off, you know? It kind of stops the whole free-flow, natural conversation thing, because I just constantly stop and start um and uh because I don't know but um anyway like I explained before I think I think I did anyway in another episode that's why I like to do a driver um not that you need to know that um it has been quite busy in my life at the moment um lots of lots of little things going on but also not much at all like interesting time um But, I have been thinking a lot about, um, animal behaviour and, okay, so like, go with me here. It's kind of a weird concept and like, I haven't, like, looked into any studies on it or anything like that. I've just sort of formed my own opinion and like, seen other people talk about it. But I don't know what actual research there is and evidence and all that, so like, go with me here. But anyway, I've been thinking about this whole idea about, like, animals having consent. And I don't know that might be a weird concept, but... I mean, they do. Like, every living creature has consent in one form or another. Um, I don't know why I started with this, because, like, there's a bunch of things I want to talk about. And for some reason I decided to go with the most difficult topic. Um, out of everything, but whatever. Here we are. Um, I guess consent and also just enrichment is what I wanted to talk about. Um, I guess choice. Choice might be a better word for it. It's giving your animal a choice um, in different situations about what they want to do or how they want to act um, in a certain way. Um, so the big example that I think I'm going to talk about, or touch on at least because I can't go into depth with many examples. Um, I want to talk about three different animals and they are three animals that I love the most. Um, dogs, cats and horses. And Now the way I'm going to talk about all this is going to vary with all of them, with all of their breed or species specific needs and wants. Um, and Choice or lack of choice, maybe, um, might present itself to us, and how they want to communicate how they're feeling to us. Um, because communication is different from humans to animals, of course. Um, but it's also very different animal to animal. You know, depending on the breed. Sorry, I keep saying breed. Depending on the species is more important. Um, I mean, breed as well. But you know, more on the species. Um, in how they communicate um, to us as people and why we as owners should be listening to that it is so important to be taking note of what your animal is trying to tell you and adjust accordingly um, and this isn't some ugh, fake pseudo pseudoscience woo-woo I don't know, hippie thing. Like it's facts, it's proven. Animals have feelings, they have wants, they have needs. Um and in my opinion we should make an effort to understand that and understand what they're telling us and then respect that. Um yeah, I I think so. Um so, where should we start? Dogs, cats, or horses? Um, I guess I'll talk about dogs first, and I'll tell you a little story that happened to me, and why it got me thinking so much. Um, so, I'm a pet sitter. Um, I do a lot of pet sitting. I also do dog walking. Um, and so, over the holidays, I... Uh, it was before the holidays, actually doesn't matter, it will pass a while. Um, There's this dog that I've been walking. Um, He's a beautiful, beautiful uh, Labradoodle. Labrador cross broodle. Black, he's fluffy, he's gorgeous. Um, However, um, he is, um, like a lot of dogs, he has a bit of trouble on the leash Um, and also with his recall training. So when you fall out to him, he or may not come back. Um so I've never walked him off leash. He's only a recent client of mine. Um so when I have been walking him, um that's been just when he's been on leash. He's not allowed off leash at the moment um until he um he does some more recall training <laughs> um and gets that into his skill set. Again um, however, okay, so, um, this dog, yes, he's only allowed on the lead, so we've been walking around, um, he, I've been taking him to this park, um, or just walking around, you know, a few blocks, a few streets, um, and stuff like that, um, and I try and do this with my own dogs as well, um, but I... I try and let them take the lead, um, and sort of show me where they want to go. <laughs> and when I first say that, I think there would be a lot of immediate assumption, or the first thought that comes to mind is, wouldn't they be pulling you a lot, and like, it would just be unpleasant, because, you know, the dog is just so excited, um, that they just pull you everywhere, rather than you having control over them so to speak, and this is, true mm, to an extent, but also not really, I think, um, yes, at first I find that, um, dogs, like, if they don't have the correct leash training, then yes, they are very pulley on the lead, um, and they will try and take you where they want to go, because, you know, if you think about it, you take your dog out of the, out of the house um, for their daily walk, like, to them, that is the only time they get to leave the house in, or the, you know, the garden as well, of course, um, is when you let them to. Let them to? Anyway, you know what I mean. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't believe I decided to do a podcast episode, honestly, I haven't had any water all day, um, just by accident, um, because I forget, I'm not very good at drinking water. Um, but also I had to throw out my water bottle so I didn't even have any water with me. Um, like I literally threw it out today. Um, because it was old making the water taste bad and then discolouring it. I don't know, I don't know if that was all from the bottle, but anyway, I don't have bottle. I'm getting sidetracked. Point B, I haven't had any water all day and now I'm going to be talking for an hour. Um, so I'm already dehydrated, let's see how this goes. (laughs) So I apologise if my voice sounds weird, um, for that reason. But anyway, I was, um, talking about something. Um, uh, yeah. So when you take your dogs out, um, for their daily walk, it is their only time that they get to leave the house. And I, like, you make that decision for them. Um, and I'm not saying... Shouldn't because obviously you should. You can't just let your dog roam around. That's unsafe. (laughs) Um, But I think it's an important factor to remember is that you do control your dog's daily activities, life. You know, even when they have, even when you have a back garden that they have access to, or if they are outdoor dogs the whole time, it isn't the same as being able to explore the world. You know, we as people, we can choose whether we come and go out of our house, whether we're going to go down the street and get a coffee or go have lunch in the park, or if we're going to be out at work all day. Um, You know, we are constantly going out and seeing the world and meeting new people and just seeing the world around us and being able to explore that. Um, And dogs don't get that opportunity unless we give it to them. So, my point in saying all this is to say, I am not surprised at all when dogs are very excited on the lead and they are very pulling on the lead, you know, um, and they try and pull you everywhere because they want to sniff this and sniff that and see that and see this, um, because everything is just so exciting to them at that point, um, especially if it's been like a whole 24 hours since they last got out of the house or or anything, um, because the world can change so quickly in that regard for them, especially because dogs, they see the world, but more than that, they, they, they experience the world through their nose, through scent, um, if you have a dog, you would know this, and I'm sure even if you don't have a dog, you would have seen this, you know, dogs, they constantly have their nose to the ground, they're sniffing, or if they don't, they're just walking along, and then their nose will dive and go to the ground, and they'll be sniffing, because they see the world through their nose, um, and honestly, I would love to do a whole episode just talking about that, because I think it is the most fascinating thing, um, um, I don't know if you remember, but I, am doing vet nursing at the moment, and we've, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, but nothing in depth, but just a few facts that I did here, and videos that I did watch about the dog's um, olfactory system it's it's fascinating um, you know when dogs you know when a dog pees and then another dog goes and has to sniff it immediately um, well honestly never mind that like if, if a dog has peed several like peed and then on a tree or whatever and then another dog um, walks by like four hours later or a few hours or whatever, and sniffs it. They're so intelligent, or I shouldn't say intelligent because it's not their brain. Um, but their their sense of smell is so defined and so clever um, that they are able to detect, you know, how roughly how long ago the dog was there, the sex of the dog, um, how big the dog was. Um, you know, there's so many different things that they are able to detect, and it, I just think it's amazing. So clever. Um, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked <laughs> talking about a dog's nose. Point being, back to what I said, they see the no- see, they don't see the nose, they see the world through their nose. Um, so... I like to let them choose where they want to go, because it's their walk, you know, we don't take the out for us, but yes, we get a lot of benefits from it ourselves, um, and I really enjoy dog walking, of course, um, and a lot of people do, and a lot of people enjoy spending time outside and with their dogs, but at the end of the day, it isn't for us, it's for them, it's for their benefit, um, and... You can't forget that. So, by letting my dogs choose where they want to go, I'm giving them a choice. And I'm letting them decide where they want to go based on what excites them or interests them or, um, you know, anything like that. And as a result, I actually find... That they pull on the lead a lot less than they would if you just kept walking and didn't let them stop or got impatient when they did want to stop. Um, I'm hoping this all makes sense when I explain it. I know I've gone off on a couple of tangents, um, but it's just fascinating. Fascinating. Um, to think of a different word, and you are repeating yourself. Sorry, um, but anyway, that's what I found with that dog, my client dog that I was walking. He wasn't allowed off leash, and so I had, to, I wanted to make the walk as as fun and pleasant and as enriching as it could be for him, um, because you know dogs they love to run, and he would have had a ball if I had been able to let him off the leash, and he could run around, and he, he, when he's off leash, he could then choose where he goes in the park, you know, he, he doesn't have the restraint of, of me holding on to him, um, and taking away his choice, um, so, and I'm, you know, and obviously, I can't just let him go anywhere he wants, like, there are boundaries to it, there has to be, um, for example, if he's following a scent trail, um, and then it leads onto a road, I'm obviously not going to let him just walk onto the road so he can continue smelling, um, so what I usually do in that scenario is, um, just pull him away and go and try and, you know, encourage him to go into it in a different direction, and usually they just pick up another trail and follow that one instead, um. I, I found it, I don't know, very eye-opening, um, to walk him, and to, even myself, to only be limited to me having him on leash, I had to rethink how I was going to do, do the dog walk, um, and doing it like that really helped, it helped me, it helped him, I think he had a great time, um, so yeah, give, give them choice, um, and the reason in, you know, my, my opinion, I haven't, like I said, haven't done any studies on this or any, or like read any studies, I should say, um, but to me, it makes sense that if he, um, I let him sort of lead the way, go where he wants, um, and then he doesn't pull as much, the lead is very, very relaxed, you know, there's a lot of, um, I don't remember what's it's called. Um, but there's no, no tension in the lead. It's not taught or anything like that. Um, it's very relaxed for both of us, which is great. And I think the reason for that is that because he noticed that I wasn't um, going to be impatient and, you know, try and pull him away when he wanted to sniff something, I would stand and I would wait for him to be done rather than deciding we were done on my terms, in my time. Um, I would wait for him and so he began he began to learn that that's what I was going to do and so it sort of I think it built a trust and sort of an understanding that oh okay so like you're not going to pressure me like I don't have to um you know really stand my ground and convince you that I want to stay here we're just going to stay here until I choose um And then, so, he doesn't pull on the lead as much, and it it was great. Loved it. Um, I think this is a very long-winded way of saying all this, so sorry. Um, I mean, I've only been talking for, like, 18 minutes, but anyway. Um, and I guess the other thing with that that I should, um, that I just thought of is, and this is true for all animals, of course, not just dogs, um, animals don't have an understanding of time they have no concept of time um because you know time clocks, man-made construct (laughs) you know like we invented that um i mean basically you know there's night and day blah 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 anyway we're not getting into that right now um they have no concept of time they don't understand that you have allocated an hour here to walk your dog or half hour or whatever. And then you have to get home and do your homework and make dinner or whatever. Um, Or if you walk them in the morning. They don't understand that you only have a certain amount of time um, to do the walk. And then you have to go off to work. They don't get that. So why are they going to rush the walk? Um, And I find in myself, like, letting go of that pressure of time and sort of releasing all that, once again just makes it all a lot more relaxing, Um, and in a training scenario, um, which obviously dog walking isn't, I mean everything is training, but anyway, in a a training scenario where you are very much trying to um, get your animal to uh, perform a (laughs) behaviour, or teach them a behaviour, but letting go of the concept of time. So important. Um, so you know that whole thing about how like printers always break when you know when they know you're in a rush. Or when they know that you have an assignment due or something. I feel like it's the same thing for animals, you know. If you are nervous and rushing and tense or whatever, the animal is going to pick up on that. And they are not going to cooperate or... Um, you know, the training scenario is not going to go the way you planned. You know, it's just it's just the way it is. You know, if you go in with less expectations, things will usually go better, in my experience. And in my opinion, at least. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that sentence didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> um, I'm just a bit... Uh, speaking of, um, time and expectations, um, I'm a little bit shocked, because I'm almost home. Well, I'm like halfway home, um, and I've been t- just talking about dogs for 20 minutes, and I was also going to talk about cats and horses, but I don't know how we're going to get to that. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, I guess with that training scenario stuff I was talking about, with the expectations of time, um, and everything, that is very applicable to horses I think um, just because you know horses require a lot of training and I have tried to train a couple of horses in the past um, you know, obviously not under saddle like for the first, like I haven't started a horse or anything like that just teaching them little tricks and uh, target training, things like that Um, but anyway, um, yeah, same thing applies if you go in being like, yep, I'm going to teach this horse, this behaviour in 20 minutes. Guess what? It's not going to happen. Um, I mean, it might, but chances are it won't. Um, I just think the less expectations, the better. Um, which I know is a weird thing. Like, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily say that because you know people are very goal focused and um like checklists and you know that type of thing um so if you just go in and be like "Mm, i'll see what happens it's a little it's very unstructured and i'm not saying don't have a structure obviously always have a structure and a plan but if that plan doesn't go if the plan doesn't go to plan you can't be upset, you just gotta be like, yeah, alright, and you know, see what you wanna do next. <clears throat> um But anyway, I started with the topic of choice and consent, and now I'm getting into behavior training, um, which is a different different area. <laughs> um, anyway, um alright what next what next what next horses um I think consent with horses is an interesting topic I think it's a uh delicate topic that maybe a lot of horse people don't want to do to think about I hate to say it um but no one listens to this podcast anyway so I'm sure it's fine (laughs) sorry um what I mean by that is... So, I guess I give a little bit of background. Um, so last year I I, um, I found out about a method uh, called positive reinforcement, um, which I like knew about in the past but I didn't know the technical names and in the ins and outs of it as much as I do now. Um, but oh, basically, what I'm saying is, like, a lot of it is about listening to your horse. Um, you know, like I said at the beginning, finding out how your animal communicates to you and what they're trying to say. What is that communication actually saying to you? Um, so I'll take, for example, a horse um, who might be a little girthy um you know uh so if you try and put the girth on um he maybe your horse uh, pins his ears or like turns his head around and tries to nip you or bite you or he actually does bite you um as you're touching his belly and doing the girth um just some sort of reaction like that you know think of what is that reaction telling you? Like, why is he trying to bite you? Um, and I, I don't think it's because your horse has been an asshole or a jerk or is trying to, um, be dominant or anything like that because, ladies and gentlemen, dominant theory has been disproven uh, for dogs and horses and possibly other animals, which I'm not aware of. Um, almost definitely other animals that I'm not aware of. But anyway, those are the two that I do know. Um, which is a topic for another day, by the way. Um, note that down, I guess. Um, and I'm not going to go into it that much. But anyway, basically, your horse is not trying to be the alpha. Um, because they don't have a concept of that. Um, and also, you're a person, not a horse. So they see you differently than what they do to other horses. So it wouldn't exactly be the same anyway. Um, Anyway, that's a tangent. Um, point being... What is my point? Yeah, goofy horses. <laughs> Sorry. Um, this is going to be a bad episode. It sucks because I also don't edit these. Uh, so all my, um... All this, ums and ahs and ah Just stay in. And all my pauses where I'm thinking and stutters. Uh, everything. Everything stays in. It's, uh nice and genuine for everyone, <laughs> authentic, um, but anyway, anyway, stop it Lucy, getting off track again, as always, um, if your horse is girthy, why is that, And um, I'm fairly sure it, it's not a personality, um, thing, um, if your horse is a mare, it's not your horse just being mare a hot mare, um, you yeah, know, there's always a reason for it, um, and in my opinion, that reason, that reason is often medical issues, um, so a lot of horses, it is very, very common for horses to have ulcers, and that is a major reason for girthiness, um, I mean it's not the only reason of course, but it it often is, Um, your horse might have ulcers and they don't want to have their saddle done up because it hurts and them pinning their ears or them trying to nip at you is them trying to tell you that. Animals can't talk so they have to communicate their pain and their discomfort in in one way or another Um, and sometimes it doesn't come out in a way that we like, i.e biting us. And yes, I agree, it's not fun. I don't like being bit by horses. But at the same time I like I'm not gonna blame them for it because that's how they communicate. Um and also biting is kind of extreme. They don't usually go straight to biting, there's often you know, pre-warning signs and that's another reason why it is so important to understand your animal's behaviour. Um, especially horses, um, because their behavior and communication signals are usually very subtle, very, very subtle. Um, but anyway, so I guess in that, I guess, I guess it sort of ties into choice. I made a, it probably wasn't the best example to use, but I just started talking and then I couldn't stop. So, it's the example that we're using, um, yes, so if your horse has ulcers, or maybe you don't know, and then, uh, your horse pins their ears, or stamps their foot, or bite you, or something, um, in my opinion, I wouldn't be comfortable riding them after that, um, until I figured out what the problem was, and why they were behaving in that way, especially if it's something that's come out of the blue. Um, Those behaviours are so important to look for because things always happen for a reason. Your animal doesn't just start acting up out of nowhere. There is always a reason. Um, And so, I guess in linking that to choice and consent, I guess... Yeah, this was a really bad example to use. Um, but point being, I wouldn't be comfortable, you know, riding my horse up and doing up their saddle if that happened, um, because that's them telling you no, and I would want to respect that no. Um, I guess, and also, um, so something which I'm fascinated by, and I would love to get more involved with one day um and this one's an even bigger one so hold your breath horse people (laughs) um is allowing my horse to give me consent to ride them I know take a minute take it in it's kind of odd um the first time I heard it I was like huh what What do you mean? First of all, how, how can the horse do that when I literally just said, horses can't talk to you, you know, um, and then also training them to, like, teaching them how to communicate that to you and what a cue means, so interesting, um, difficult stuff, very challenging training, um. But, what I would love to do, absolutely. Um, Adele Shaw, who runs and owns um, the Willing Equine, um, and all her social media is under the Willing Equine, um, I highly recommend looking her up, um, especially with this stuff, because she rides with positive reinforcement. And she has taught her horses... To give her sort of a yes or no about riding, and you know, from my understanding of it, is she um, stands like in the paddock but on the fence line um, on the fence, and then gives a cue. I'm not sure what the cue is, unless maybe actually sitting on the fence is the cue, um, and then her horse will come over if they are willing um, for her to get on their back. Um, Because they have learnt that this cue equals I will get on your back. Um, And I mean I'm amazed. I am very impressed. (laughs) That is incredible. And I think it just. uh, I think it's very very good to the horse. Um, Very respectful of them. Um, because if you really think about it, you know, you sitting on this animal's back is a huge thing to ask of them, you know, especially because horses are prey animals. Um, that's, that's not in their instinct. And the fact that we have domesticated them and trained them and taught them to do this and that they are, you know at least somewhat they are they are accepting of it I mean that's incredible how can you think it's not I (sighs) yeah anyway so that's my take on horses um really small stuff and very rambly um I'm sure I will I mean I will most definitely talk about each of those things um in more depth and more detail in another episode, one when I, you know, do some more reading about it, because most of this is just my my opinions of what I've formed myself based on um, my own experiences or other resources that I've looked into. Um, but I would love to see the science behind a lot of these things, um, and I would love to do a whole episode on ulcers. I think that would be very interesting um, because ulcers are just so common, and they are also so missed and underdiagnosed um, which is really really sad because they would be extremely painful for the horse um, but they are just rushed over unfortunately uh, but anyway so i guess i i'm gonna be home in less than five minutes so i guess i can do a very brief little thing about cats Um, so I cover all three animals that I wanted to. Um, cats are, look, cats are their own thing. They are, they are quite something else aren't they? Um, I'm, I adopted two of my own cats last year, um, in December and it has been the most amazing thing I ever did. It was Not entirely impulse, but slightly impulse. I mean, I planned to get one cat and I ended up getting two, but no regrets ever, ever, ever. Um, they are incredible. Uh, (laughs) Um, but it has also taught me a lot about cats and cat behavior and understanding them. Um, I have, you know, I live at a home now, um, but at home I have grown up with both dogs and cats. Um, more dogs though. Um, and also I've always considered myself more of a dog person than a cat person. Um, I've just, I've leaned more towards dogs, I understand dogs a lot more naturally than I do cats. Um, yeah, all these reasons. Um, but, regardless, anyway, getting cats uh, was incredible. Um, like I said, I've always loved cats, but, you know. It really brought a brand new appreciation for the species and I'm just so in love with my kitties. But anyway, uh, we're talking about choice here and consent. So, if you um, have a cat or have been around cats, you know that they are are very different to dogs. They're very selective and specific about what they want, when they want it and who they want it from. Um, and I think it's great. I I think it's awesome that they they have that sense of, I don't know what you would call it, sense of self, sense of, um, assertiveness. I don't know if these animals, these words, sorry, really apply to cats, to animals. Um, you know, can an animal be assertive? Probably. Do they understand it? I don't know. Um... But anyway, that's a whole other discussion for another day. Um, take a shot every time I say that, every episode. Oh my goodness. Um, anyway. And, yeah, so if you... Um, yeah, cats are very specific about what they need. Um, what they want, I should say. And if you touch a cat... In the wrong way they will tell you um, and it happens a lot with my cat his name is Joey he he is incredibly affectionate um, very very cuddly he he wasn't always but he's really come out of his shell which I am extremely happy about um, but at the same time he would also be classified as a grump, grumpy cat <laughs> Because he just knows what he wants, you know. Um, I'll be scratching his head and then I'll move and, you know, scratch or pat, I should say. I do not scratch his back. But I pat his back and then he will turn around and niff at me. Um, But then if I go back to scratching his head, he will be purring away. Um, You know... But at other times, if I'm patting his back, he doesn't mind at all. And, of course, this is true for all animals. They all have, um, a sense or a feeling of where they liked to be pet and scratched. Um, but, and I think the other thing with cats that is important to know is that they will walk away. Um, they will just leave. They will tell you what they want. Um, they will just leave. If you are giving them attention and they don't want it, see you later. Um, they'll go into, their, into another room or out the back door or something. Um, and I think it's really, really important to respect that. And I think that's, a, that's something I probably, not well, struggled with, but has become a lot more obvious since I got my own cats. Because dogs are very different. Um, not all dogs, of course. I, uh, and all of this is a generalisation, I will add. Um, because obviously there are cats that aren't going to fit this. There are dogs and horses that won't fit what I said before. All of that. But, yes, it is a generalisation. But, point being, dogs are generally, um, you know, a lot friendlier. A lot more people-oriented, happy... Oh, whoops. Sorry. Um, driving. (laughs) All's good. Um, a lot more people-oriented, a lot, um a lot happier to play at almost any time of the day. Whereas cats aren't, you know, they, they know what they want and they will get it when they want, not when you choose. And so, and I think that's something that people struggle with a lot with cats. When people say, um, you know, cats are mean, cats are rude, cats are just so independent. And it's like, they are independent, But also, it's not that they're not people-oriented, they are just, they have different boundaries. Um, And talking about consent and choice, when the animal, when the cat walks away from you after you've been patting it, um, and then you you follow them and continue to pat them, um, or you know, play, try and play with them when they don't want it, that's not technically following through with what they've consented to because they left, you know, they walked away. Um, and I know it, it's a, it's a really strange topic talking about consent regarding to animals. Um, but it's, it's the best way to explain it. It's the best word of choice in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I hope this all makes sense, um, I have gotten home now, um, and so my brain is starting to slow down, I really need dinner, um, so I'm probably not going to, um, continue talking about very much more, um, but I hope you enjoyed this episode, and it's brought you some new ideas, or maybe some things to look into, um, I'm definitely going to continue researching and looking into these things, because I find them very interesting, um, I can't believe I covered three animals in one thing, I mean, only very briefly, of course, um, for each of them, and I did a lot of rambling about other stuff as well, um, whatever, um, I'm sure I'll do another episode, well, I, I mean, I hope so, I hope it goes less time this time between episodes, because... Last time it did not, because I just got stuck and didn't know what to talk about. Um, or every time I came up with an idea, I didn't think I knew enough to talk about it. Um, or I just got, I don't know, insecure and anxious and felt like I would freeze. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah, so there we go. That's that. Um, consent, choice, and uh, respecting animals' boundaries. Ooh, maybe that should be the title. I don't know. Is that two? I don't know. Whatever. It'll be something. And I guess you'll see it if you are listening to this. Um, so yeah. Thank you for listening. I will talk to you guys another time. And um, have a wonderful day. Or wonderful night. Whatever time it is. And look after your animals. Respect your animals. Uh, look after yourself. How many things do I need to say in an outro? Probably not this many. Alright. Bye guys.